touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And we're going to have part two of our discussion on alternative fuels. Yes, uh, in our in our first part, we went over um, some of the common alternates that are, or the common alternates really that are right. going on, which are biodiesel, ethanol, hydrogen, natural gas, propane, and electricity. Wow, you rattle them off. Yeah, that's exactly what we talked about. And now in this episode, we really want to focus on what are the challenges of getting away from a gasoline-based fuel and really focusing on one of these alternatives to to make the alternative actually the primary as opposed to just an alternative. Uh, right, because a lot of these seem like really good ideas in theory, kind of, sort of. Uh, you know, it's they, they, they burn cleaner and are some of them are renewable, which is great. Right, but, right, right. But there are some challenges. I mean, some major challenges. And so, which is why they haven't taken over yet. Yeah, that's that's one of the many reasons. And and it's we think it's important to keep in mind what those challenges are because it gives you a more realistic view of what you need to do in order to to make this happen. It's not that I think that we shouldn't switch from gasoline to something else. It's just that I think that it's important that we are honest with ourselves so that way we can come to the the right decision when it comes to figuring out what the alternative should be for everybody. Now, from an individual basis, this is a much easier decision if you have the means to to buy the sort of vehicle you want to uh, pursue sure, this. Sure, sure. As, as a single consumer, um, you know, with with these options available to you, you can make you can make any number of decisions. Right. And, yeah, um, you could get one of those uh, FFVs we talked about and use a higher blend of ethanol. You might be able to get a car that can run biodiesel with a decent uh, B blend, or you might get an electric vehicle. You know, there are a lot of different options open to you. But if we're talking about rolling this out to a wide, uh, yeah, but but countrywide or, or globally, um, you know, the the reason that gasoline caught on was that it was the cheapest and most efficient fuel available at the time. And uh, that hasn't changed enough. Right. And and it's had more than a century to become a, a an institutionalized infrastructure, something that is so uh, uh, established and so central to the way we do everything from transportation to uh, to other kinds of commerce that it it's no surprise that it will be very difficult to displace gasoline it's just we, we've invested countless billions of dollars around the globe not just here in the United States in this infrastructure and uh, it's it's got a lot of momentum behind it so how how do we replace it and why would we even want to so I think first we should probably look at the whys and then look at how? And I put, <laughs> I, I put the big question mark because it's, yeah. it's a, it's a tough question. So we kind of divided up the whys into three major categories. And, um, you know, you have to ask yourself this question. Why do you want to get off gasoline? Because the answer to that will determine in part which alternative fuel What solution would be. we're going to come up with. Right. Sure. Right. Because one alternative fuel might be great for one part of this answer, but not so great for another. So one of the ones that I think leaps to mind for a lot of people is the environmental impact of petroleum based products and how com- using a combustible engine and burning this stuff means we create a lot of emissions that are pollutants that are toxic, that are greenhouse gases that can affect climate change. 
These are all things that uh, a lot of people keep in mind when they're talking about we need an alternative fuel source. Yeah. And a lot of these alternative fuel sources are really good about that. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, we remember we divided these up in the previous episode in large categories. So, for example, we had biofuels. And biofuels are things like biodiesel, which is made out of uh, uh, animal fats or vegetable oils or even recycled restaurant grease and then processed to become a diesel fuel. Most often it is blended with actual petroleum-based diesel, uh, and it tends to emit fewer pollutants. The, the higher the concentration of biodiesel, the fewer pollutants it tends to emit, and the downside is the less energy-dense it tends to be. So in other and words, that's honestly true for, I think, everything that we were talking yeah, about in the last episode. Yeah. Everything, everything tends to be if it's if it's something that's mixed with gasoline or diesel, then it tends to be have have higher energy density. The more uh, the petroleum based product is mixed in, the the less of it that's there, the less uh, dense as far as energy is concerned, the fuel is. So you don't go as far on a full tank if you're using pure biodiesel as you would if you were used a blend that only had a small amount of biodiesel in it. Same thing is true of ethanol, which is with gasoline. This is ethyl alcohol that you would mix with gasoline, increases the octane, lowers the energy density. Um, so they both tend to emit fewer pollutants than pure gasoline or pure diesel. Or few carb- fewer carbon dioxide. Yeah, fewer carbon dioxide emissions. You do have to keep in mind that some of these could emit completely different chemicals that could be, you know, toxic in their own way. Uh, but biodiesel, for example, is non-toxic. It's biodegradable. Uh, the emissions tend to be much less severe than the petroleum-based ones. Uh, it still does emit some toxins and some pollutants, just not nearly as much as the petroleum-based kind. Same thing is, is more or less true of ethanol, the higher concentration of ethanol you go anyway. Uh, lower concentrations means that there's enough gasoline there for uh, for you to emit fewer, but not zero emissions. And then you've got the fossil fuels. So you've got the biofuels with biodiesel and ethanol. You have the fossil fuels, that includes natural gas and propane, also known as liquid petroleum gas. Uh, both of these are, uh, well, natural gas we find when we're also mining for crude oil, and uh, propane is something we get through the whole processing of natural gas and crude oil, the refining of crude oil. So both of these are, in a way, kind of like byproducts of going after oil, and, you know, although you can have a mine that's just for natural gas as well. You can. Yeah. So these could still produce pollutants. Uh, they do tend to produce fewer pollutants than uh, gasoline or diesel, but they still do produce pollutants. And sometimes, again, the shift is on different pollutants than it would be with a gasoline-based engine or a diesel-based engine. So environmentally, uh, it goes... Uh, it's, it's still... I think favorable, but it's not a great solution. In other words, you're slowing down the amount of emissions you are putting out into the environment, but you're not eliminating it's, it's or reversing the trend. It's still fossil fuel, and so you're still right. Um, and and also, you know, the the other trade-off is that you're getting less energy yeah. out of it. Again, again, the same sort of thing where you you cannot go as far, so you have to use more fuel to go the same distance as you would with a gasoline or diesel-powered uh, vehicle. Then you have hydrogen. Uh, if you're using it in an internal combustion engine, you are emitting nitrous or nitrogen oxide, I should say, not nitrous oxide, a little bit different, but nitrogen oxide. And um, it's uh, 
that, you know, that's a pollutant, so that's a problem. Uh, but if you are using it as a fuel cell, the only real emissions you have are heat and water. Yeah. So water vapor is a greenhouse gas, but it can be incorporated into the water cycle a little more readily than, say, anything else. So anyway, carbon monoxide, yeah, <laughs> yeah carbon monoxide, not, not so, it's much better than carbon monoxide. Um, so you've got, uh, that as a benefit, but then the downside that we've mentioned before is that in order to get hydrogen, you have to pour energy into stuff to break molecular bonds to free up the hydrogen in the first place because it doesn't really uh, appear unbonded to stuff in any great amount on Earth. Right, right. Once you're once you're burning it, it's fairly efficient. But um, but to get it to the state where you can, yeah, you have to use a lot of energy. So if yeah. that energy is coming from fossil fuels, this is true, by the way of all of the different ones we're talking about. Biofuels, uh, the natural gas or propane. We have to use energy to get at this fuel and process this fuel before we can use it in any sort of vehicle. Right. Uh, the, the thing is with, with gasoline is that all of that work was done by the Earth over the course of billions and billions of years. Yeah, although we do have to process sure. oil to make it gasoline, but, but still. But a lot less than we do for uh, for, for biofuels or ethanol. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's one of those things where... Uh, if that energy to do the processing is also coming from fossil fuels, then you have to worry about the environmental, environmental impact of the processing uh, part of this as opposed to the fuel part. Which so, is the direct effect of electricity because electric, electrically run vehicles, um, you know, you're plugging them into a wall. Where is the electricity coming to you from that wall? Right. Um, if it's a coal processing plant, then you're not really doing anything. Yeah, you're just uh, you, the the pollution is just been shifted you're passing over the to buck the. To, yeah. yeah. But if it's if it's one of those things like uh, you know you're getting it from solar power, or wind power, or whatever, then the electric car is a great choice because you are not really putting out any appreciable amount of pollutants or emissions from that vehicle. So uh, if the re- if the energy source that's creating the electricity is renewable and clean, then that's the best option for an individual, I think, personally. Um, that being said, if you can't guarantee that, if you are getting your electricity from a coal-powered plant or something else that is uh, producing a lot of pollutants, then it could just be that, again, the problem has shifted to a different part of the equation. Uh, right. And and some of this is a little bit arguable. Um, for example, with ethanol, there's been a bunch of conflicting studies. The the two major ones that I've seen were one from uh, Cornell University that was saying that um, that considering all of the energy costs it takes to grow corn and convert it to ethanol, it's a lot more energy production than you actually get out at the end. Right. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll really look into energy return on investment toward the end of this podcast. But that does mean that you're talking about land use, too. Right. And land use could mean that instead of using that land to grow things that could be big carbon sinks or grow food for people, uh, you are growing stuff that's going to be used in fuel. And that also means that you have to use things like fertilizer, which requires a lot of nitrogen. Uh, and that could mean that you are using a lot of energy in order to create the fertilizer. And if the energy you're using to grow the crops that are eventually going to be turned into fuel, if all that energy is more than what you are getting out of the whole fuel equation, then you're not only causing environmental damage, it may just not make sense from a big uh, picture perspective. Keeping in mind that it all kind of depends on what uh, crop you're growing in the first place. In the United States, it's it's chiefly corn that we use to create ethanol. For, for ethanol and chiefly soybeans, I believe, for uh, biodiesel. And then if you are in Brazil, then it's sugarcane for ethanol. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, we've also talked about the possibility of using switchgrass and other types of cellulose-based stuff uh, to create ethanol, which would require a much lower investment uh, and 
therefore, at least ideal, ideally, would mean a, a smaller environmental impact uh, on land use and other issues. You know, you can get into lots of complicated things with land use, you know, even things like erosion and flooding problems. And, you know, if you've altered the landscape to an appreciable amount so that you can grow the stuff that's going to fuel the nation's vehicles, that can have unintended consequences. And that's why this... Of course, yeah. I mean, you know, in an ideal world, you would be, um, you, you know, share, sharing cropland to rotate crops out and and plant something that's really going to help the environment around it use that for biofuels and then let it get switched out with something else. Right. But, um, yeah. 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 Crop rotation is one of those basic farming techniques that can really save the soil a lot of wear and tear and make it easier to grow healthy crops for longer. Uh, yeah. But, but unfortunately, yeah, there's there's not. And, and farming farming is, is a technology that actually I think would be really interesting to do a whole episode on because yeah. we've got a lot of really interesting new research coming out. Sure. Yeah. So not only is it the just the technology behind farming, but just the techniques that are being used, some of which are centuries old. So anyway, that's kind of the overview of the environmental concern is the idea that this is a very complex issue. If you're talking about the biological stuff, you have to say, all right, well, what's the environmental impact of growing the stuff that's going to make this fuel, then what's the environmental impact of actually burning that fuel? Uh, with the fossil fuels, it's it's sort of saying, well, this is assuming that we're going to continue producing petroleum-based fuels in the first place, because both of these are kind of byproducts of that. Um, so th- really, it's just saying, uh, how do we offset our gasoline consumption so that we're using something that's less harmful to the environment? And then with hydrogen, you're talking about how do you get the hydrogen in a way that doesn't involve pouring a lot of energy. Way more energy than it takes to. Yeah, yeah. and burning fossil fuels just so that you can get at some hydrogen. And then, of course, electricity is how'd you get the electricity, buddy? And uh, so, like I said, it's very complex. This is one of those conversations that the more the longer you have the conversation, the more you realize this is not a simple solution. There's no easy switch we can flip. Uh, Now, let's talk about the second of the three things we identified as reasons you might want to switch to gasoline, and that is economic reasons. So let's talk about economic from the point of view of the average consumer's wallet. So in that sense, some of these fuels at right now are less expensive than uh, an equivalent amount of gasoline. And when I say equivalent amount, I really mean equivalent Energy distance. distance. Yeah. Cause, cause you can't really compare. It's like comparing apples to, uh, hydrogen gas. It's, um, <laughs> hard to do because gasoline comes in liquid form. Some of these fuels come in gas form. Some of them are in liquid form. Some of them are in fuel cells, which make it, you know, complex. Some of them you plug into a wall. It's really hard to, to easily compare them, right? But, uh, in general, uh, things like electric vehicles are still uh, still more expensive, at least in the United States, still more expensive than uh, than gas powered cars. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I think it kind of goes like gas powered, hybrid, and then electric. Sure. Um, and uh, and and supposedly at this point, the um, the amount from even a hybrid car, the amount of money that you'll save by using electricity versus gasoline, in the end, will pay off. Over the lifetime of a vehicle. Assuming that you're keeping that vehicle for a good amount of time. it's it, it. I've seen different studies on this where there's been some debate about how long you would have to maintain and keep that vehicle. And, of course, maintenance costs fold into that, too. Of course. And a maintenance cost for a hybrid vehicle or an electric vehicle may be higher than it would be for a traditional gasoline or diesel-powered vehicle. So then, you know, you have to take – just like with the environmental issue, it gets more complex than just saying – 
how expensive is, is this for me on a day-to-day basis? Uh, you have to look right. at the lifetime of the vehicle. And especially since um, since things like hybrid vehicles are a little bit more costly to maintain be- just because the, you can't take it into any old shop anywhere. Right. As a lot of the parts are specialist parts that take a little bit more uh, time and money to get a hold of. Right. And and also the idea that uh, these are kind of still seen as specialty cars. They're, they're right. becoming more popular. I mean, it's especially in the United States. Hybrid vehicles and electric vehicles are both becoming more popular. Yeah. Here in Atlanta, they're kind of everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I see smart cars everywhere, mm-hmm. uh, but um, uh, I see a, you know, like the Prius is is just about everywhere too. So it, you know, the popularity is rising, but the as as popularity rises, the nice thing about that is demand goes up. Uh, companies find more efficient means of manufacturing these vehicles, which then allows the cost to come down. But it's a process that takes time. So it's not like, you know, year one, uh, vehicles are going to be $60,000. And year two, they're going to be 15000 And year three, they're going to be 12000 That's not the way it works. Uh, right. And also, as, as this cost is dropping, part of that is because the infrastructure that allows them to be popular is developing. And so you're really, um, you're, you know, for the consumer, it might become less expensive, but the cost of building up that infrastructure is enormous. Right. And, and that's a huge issue with hydrogen based, uh, uh, cars, whether it's fuel cells or hydrogen used as uh, a fuel in an internal combustion engine. Uh, there's no real existing infrastructure to get that hydrogen everywhere. So it would mean building that out and creating hydrogen fuel stations. And there are a few. I know there are some. California's got a few. Mm-hmm. But they are few and far between. And if you were to drive anywhere outside of that region, you would quickly realize that you were stranded and you had to call mom. So... Uh, Assuming mom has giant tanks of hydrogen lying around. My mom always has a giant. Mom's purse holds a myriad of amazing things in it. Mary Poppins bag. Essentially a bag of holding. It's for my D&D buddies out there. Roll a D20 to save against being nerdy. You (laughs) lost. Um, So... Yeah, yeah, infrastructure is really expensive. It can be, which then can mean that it would be more expensive to the end consumer, right? That cost right. has to be mm-hmm. uh, recouped for, for, somewhere. For, for, for taxpayers or... Um... Yeah, because some of these are programs that the government is, is encouraging through tax incentives. But again, that tends to mean that those incentives are are, are paid off. From the by the taxpayer, so uh, and in different countries do this in different ways. You know, there's some that just they that's they allocate a certain percentage of the tax income toward things like uh, 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 encouraging these sort of industries so that they grow faster or that they take hold. Uh, but th- that's a big issue. Economic is complicated, just like environmental. Now, that brings us to the third of our reasons why we might want to switch from gasoline, and that is national security. Now, here in the United States, and we said this in the last podcast, in the United States, we import a lot of our oil from other nations. And some of those nations are nations that uh, it would mean that the money we are spending to get at that oil may be going to fuel instability in regions of the world. It could mean that we are inadvertently giving uh, more power to parties that are going to cause lots of trouble in different parts of the world, either directly to the United States or to our allies or just create instability in general, which is not good for anybody, really. No. And uh, and so 
it, there really is, it really is in the interest of the United States and really any country to find a way of being as self-sufficient as possible so that, uh, you can create as much of your energy domestically. And when I say create energy, obviously I don't mean you can create or destroy energy. <laughs> oh, right. Energy. Create fuels. fuel. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Domestically um, as opposed to, to, uh, internationally. Yeah. So here, here in the, here in the United States, um, we do produce each of the six, each, uh, each of the six fuels that we're talking about here. Um, but we also produce gasoline. Right. So. Yeah. So if you look at the fuels that we produce, the the alternatives we mentioned, m- most of them, we produce the vast majority of what we use here domestically in the United States. Uh, even so, we do import some stuff uh, specifically within natural gas and propane. We import a little bit of that although we produce quite a bit. We also export some. So it's kind of interesting that we export some and then import others. Um, uh, and that's, you know, a lot of that has to do with infrastructure and uh, and transportation as well as just logistics and, you know, when, where we can get the most money out of the resources that we have available. So uh, one of the things that a lot of people have pointed at is alternative fuels would allow us to remove our dependency on foreign oil. That's usually how it's worded. And, uh, it's, and it's really it's really decrease, I think, because we are so far off from. But, but yeah, yeah, that's that that we're going to cover in our next section, because because <laughs> that's the that's that's where we're going to really look at some of the huge challenges besides the ones we've already mentioned. If you think it's been challenging already, we have not even scratched the surface. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's this idea that we can perhaps make the United States a safer place and hopefully the entire world a safer place by uh, producing more of that energy or producing more of that fuel rather domestically. And the same is true, like I said, for nations all around the world. Uh, I, since Lauren and I are both from the United States, we work in the United States, we live in the United States. That's what our perspective is based on. Uh, but we are aware that there are people all over the world who's, who, who have, have the, the same issues and the exactly. same, same thoughts. Yeah. So that, that kind of covers the, the why. And, uh, We'll we'll tackle the how, but before we can, let's take a quick break. So uh, yeah, we've we covered the the why we might want to. So Jonathan, I was wondering how much gasoline exactly do we use? Well, here in the United States, Lauren, according to uh, the the U.S. government, specifically according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, in 2012, which if my calendar serves me correctly, is just last year. On an average day, uh, the U.S. went through 347 million gallons of gasoline. Wait, uh, per day? Per day. Yeah, if you want to talk about the whole year, that's about 126 billion with a B gallons. Uh, and, you know, that's just, that's just me rounding it off, too. Now, I should say that this isn't all bad news. Because originally, uh, people were projecting us to be up to about 150 billion gallons of gas oh, per, hey, per year. We were, we were conservative. Yeah, we, we cut out nearly 25 billion gallons of gas. Um, it turns out that our, our gas consumption may be slightly decreasing due to people just being a little more, uh, conservative with their driving habits. Uh, right. Yeah. The, uh, the economy in general. And I mean, it, it's easy to say the economy in general about anything, but, um, but yeah, people aren't, are cutting back on the amount of gas that they're using. Right. So, uh, so, you know, it's not all because people are concerned about saving the earth. Some of them are concerned about saving their, their cash. Yeah. Uh, not that that's, not that I'm trying to cast aspersions. That's important too. That's great. That's important too. But yeah, so, so 
around 126 billion gallons of gas in the United States every year. So in order to get off gasoline, so let's say that our goal is to eliminate using gasoline as our primary source for fuel, to make gasoline the alternative as opposed to one of these others. Uh, then what kind of numbers are we looking at? And uh, I've got a few, but um, it's it's not looking great. Oh, right, right. But, you know, and and keep keep in mind that a lot of this is because, as we have said earlier, um, most of these other most of these alternatives won't get you as far as gasoline will. Right. So, in other words, even the the, the fuel economy is yeah, is lesser. You would have to use more of the fuel to get the same amount of distance as you would with if you had the same kind of vehicle, but it was a gasoline powered vehicle. Sure. So, um, 126 billion gallons of gas every year in the United States. Let's look at ethanol. So, in 2011, the United States produced about 13.9 billion gallons of ethanol. Uh, so we'd need a, a lot 110 extra billion. Well, and, and also keep in mind that ethanol right and now is being used as a blend, right? So right. it's stretching our gasoline a little because we are blending ethanol with gasoline to increase octane. Uh, but if, for but for most vehicles, the, the highest that you go generally is E85, right, which, which is only 85% ethanol. Right. Or, I mean, 85% ethanol, good, but, but still, still 15%, 15 gasoline. Gas. Yeah. If you wanted to go with pure ethanol, you would have to have a seriously retooled engine that could withstand that solvent kind of action. We could all just drive Indy cars. Yeah, I guess we could. You know, ethanol was, in fact, one of the fuels that Henry Ford was looking at back when he was first designing the automobile. He was expecting um, all vehicles, all of his vehicles to be using uh, corn ethanol. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, this was this is not like it's a new idea by any stretch of the imagination. But the point is, is that we'd have to produce a lot more of it if we really wanted ethanol to be. Uh, a replacement for gasoline. And let's, I just want to be fair. I'm not suggesting that any of these industries are saying that they are positioning themselves to replace gasoline entirely. That's not the message they are, they are trying to make. I'm just pointing out that if we did want to have everyone take this and not just be, you know, an individual choice thing, but that we're trying to guide people into these kind of vehicles in the future, that we face some pretty serious production problems. Now, one of the nice things about ethanol is that the ethanol we're producing, we're producing for fuel, and we're producing it for fuel for vehicles for the most part. So that means that it's not like we'd have to repurpose or redirect the stuff we are producing for one thing into something else, which is not the case when we get to the uh, fossil Some fuels. The, right. But, uh, but for ethanol, again, big deficit there. And then with biodiesel, biodiesel tends to be measured in tons as opposed to gallons. So, and, and I'm going to stick with gasoline. I know technically I should compare biodiesel against diesel, but we're, you know, my, my, my hypothesis was how could we get off of, you know, what how was can it we get off take? of gasoline? Exactly. So, sure. So biodiesel production in uh, 2011 was about 6 million tons. And if you compare that to tons of gasoline, and this is not a Direct. Direct comparison, but it's around 450 million tons. So Oof. big so, deficit there yeah, too. Not, not even, not even getting into the billions. And, yeah. So that's and... a lot of McDonald's that you'd be rating to get, <laughs> to get the grease that you would need to keep your, your cars running. This, this is not to say that, uh, the raw materials aren't there. They may very well be, but we're only processing about 6 million tons per year. And, uh, and, and again, this is, this is a, biodiesel is something that very early on, um, in fact, Rudolph Diesel, who diesel is named for, um, was in 1900 testing peanut oil driven engines. Interesting. Now I want peanuts. 
boiled peanuts. Oh, wow, you are Southern. I told Ooh. you. I'm, oh, I'm my goodness gracious. born and bred down here. Well, so, bless your heart. Thank you. So, uh, so yeah, biodiesel, uh, again, another problem is that we'd have to produce a lot more of it for it to actually replace gasoline. Not that the biodiesel industry is saying that that's what they're trying to do, but uh, if we wanted to, that it would require a lot more work. A lot, a lot. Now, uh, propane uh, in 1999, which was the year where I could find some uh, some reliable <laughs> reliable statistics. There are a lot of statistics that are out there, but th- when I start tracing back the main source, it eventually gets so cloudy that I'm thinking this might be an extrapolation. So I try to find the most reliable source I can. Uh, in this case, the source said 19.6 billion gallons were produced in 1999. Uh, again, I mean, it's more than uh, ethanol and it's more than biodiesel, actually. If you, it's more than those combined. Uh, almost, almost. Almost more than combined. But it's right around the same amount as those combined. But, uh, you know, that's uh, propane, again, not as uh, energy efficient as gasoline. So, And a um, lot of it is still being used for other purposes, such as home heating. Right. So if we wanted to make propane a, a, an alternative fuel that was... Uh, much more widely adopted, we'd have to produce a lot more propane. Yeah, we, we would either have to um, to find a uh, an, another fuel source for those other things that it's used for, or um, yeah, or, just use or, so much of it. Yeah, a like, lot, like a bunch more than that, more than quadruple down. I mean, you're talking about producing a, an enormous amount of propane. Right. Uh, natural gas. This is where we kind of everything sort of breaks down because when you're talking about natural gas, you're talking about volume, right? You're not talking about uh, a a liquid measurement like a gallon or a liter, and it can come in liquid uh, natural gas. Can, but yeah, but... it's under pressure. It, we we usually talk about it in, in uh, air cubic feet. Format. Yeah. yeah. So if you're talking about 25 million cubic feet, it's kind of hard to compare that against gasoline. But again, natural gas, we're using a lot of that already for other purposes. So if we were to use natural gas as a primary fuel source for our vehicles, again, uh, same as propane. Yeah, we would have to. Keep that into uh, keep that in mind. The fact that we already need some natural gas for, or we're already using it. Yeah. Yeah. If we if we ended up repurposing it, then we'd have to find some other means of of heating our homes or providing a uh, natural gas for cooking or all those other applications we talked about in the previous episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, hydrogen. Uh, there's been no appreciable amount of hydrogen that we've produced, other than you know we we've used it in again oil refining. It's, it's funny how all these alternative fuels. Many of them are used or are byproducts of the oil refinery process. Uh, so uh, it's hydrogen. We would just have to create a whole new industry that would be all about breaking down molecular bonds so we could get at hydrogen to use it as a fuel source. Um, it's just uh, it, it would be almost like starting from scratch. And I, and I think that once we figured that out, um, it would change the face of energy as we know it, because then we would be using uh, fusion reactors for our, our general power. And yeah. I, I think that a lot of bigger things would happen before commercial hydrogen vehicles. Well, if we if we got to the point where we could use fusion reactors, then this is a moot proposition. Precisely. We just go with the sixth one, which is electricity. Which is, yeah. Because we'd be generating so much electricity with our fusion generators that that would solve that issue. We would just, you know, and, and fusion generators create clean energy, especially or at least cleaner than than almost any other uh, method that doesn't involve wind or, or solar. And in fact, you could argue, to, based upon the rare earth materials that are needed for these, that it, it could be cleaner. But uh, we haven't re- made a fusion reactor that puts out more energy than, than it, requires it requires to start. To. Mm-hmm. So until that happens, it's kind of a moot point. But anyway, electricity is our sixth one. 
Uh, and electricity is, is a different type of thing, right? It's not like we can't produce more electricity, although depending upon where you are, like in the United States, the power grid might not be uh, robust Developed enough to handle yeah. the extra energy output. The the load on the power grid might be so much as to overwhelm it. So there are a lot of countries out there that are investing heavily in creating things like smart grids, which are much more adept at uh, at moving dynamically, so that and balancing um, balancing different areas of usage. Yeah, exactly. So that way, not no one region gets overloaded, and you don't have to worry about like rolling blackouts or something, which lots of different parts of the world have experienced, including the United States. We've seen rolling blackouts in the U.S. before yeah. too. So um, uh, it would mean that we would have to have a pretty significant. Uh, investment in that infrastructure, something that a lot of people argue we need anyway, whether we're using electric vehicles or not, we do need to uh, invest in that infrastructure. I I agree with that. I think that that's important. And uh, uh, I I know that there are people who work in power grid companies who probably lead very stressful lives because the company is always working at close to full capacity. And if anything pops up, they have to be very, very uh, deft in order to handle it. Right, right. I can't imagine that life personally. I, I'm much happier being a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough enough when I get an email saying, hey, can you pick up lunch today? And I have my own little meltdown. That's tiny in comparison. I realize this. I'm still we have, we have, have, my we have very, very few emergencies in podcasting. <laughs> it turns out. Um, so, yeah, these are, th- this is all coming under the umbrella of scalability, scaling one of these things to a point where you can you can uh, effectively use it yeah across a country or across the world right and, and um, you know and that's that's why a lot of these technologies are being used um, by governments or yeah. uh, for for industry yeah or in yeah a municipality like a like a city government not necessarily a, a nation's government but right uh, we've talked about how there are a lot of cities out there Atlanta is one of them that has a um, fleet of buses that use natural gas, natural gas as mm-hmm. its primary fuel source. So there are plenty of examples. There are a lot of there's a lot of farm equipment out there that runs on either propane or natural gas. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff out there that can use this and take advantage of it. But when you're talking about consumer vehicles, it's a huge challenge to roll any of these out on any large, large scale. Um, so I, I'm not surprised that we're seeing people adopt this in uh, individual cases. I mean, that's, as as they can, as as you can afford to. Right, as they can afford to, and as their region allows them to, because. You know, uh, if, right here in Georgia, it would be very difficult to get along on an electric car if you wanted to take it outside of, you know, your your immediate neighborhood or your immediate city. But, yeah, um, yeah. but in California, it's a little bit more possible. Same thing with hydrogen vehicles. There are hydrogen refueling stations in certain parts of the United States, but not so many in Georgia. Right. So you would not be able to go very far for very long with a hydrogen-based vehicle here. And, uh, and and part of the reason why we are not rolling into all of these alternatives is that um, is that we're really not getting the kind of energy return on investment that we're looking for. Right. So this is the idea, and we've kind of touched on it already, so we won't spend too much time. But this is the idea of the energy you're getting out in the form of fuel, the, the potential energy that that fuel can give you, if that's less than what you are pouring in to create the energy or the fuel in the first place, then you really have an energy sink. You're losing energy overall in the deal. So a lot of these 
fuel sources uh, require some processing, and a lot of that processing comes from energy that we ultimately are getting by burning fossil fuels. Uh, right, right. A lot of ethanol refineries right now are trying to cut costs by using coal as their energy source. So there we have it, right? You're just, you've just shifted the fossil fuel from the fuel itself into the processing of that fuel. So if that's the case, then you could still be polluting. You're still showing a dependence upon fossil fuels. A lot of the problems that we talked about, about why you would want to switch off of gasoline, are still there. They're just there in a different part of the process. And uh, if if it turns out that you could have, like if you're using fossil fuels to process a fuel, a different type of fuel, an alternative fuel, and that alternative fuel does not have enough energy in in potential energy in that fuel form to measure out the amount that you poured into it, you might as well have just used the fossil fuel in the to first begin place. With, right. Yeah. Why why even bother creating an alternative fuel if you still if had to still burn it? If you're still using that much fossil fuel. Yeah, exactly. So you're not gaining anything. Right. So you're losing. Ideally you want your return to be greater so that and you want it to be a lot greater. Like if it can be a hundred times greater than the amount of energy it takes to make that fuel, uh to have that potential energy within that fuel then that's a great deal. That's what you want. Uh, a lot of the alternative fuels, it's more like two to three times, which is not great. And uh, it's still better than uh, a deficit, but it's 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 not it's so not great optimal. as to... And all of that ties back into some of the other whys that we were talking about earlier, like financial purposes. You know, it, it, it's going to cost more to create this than... Than sticking with gasoline. Right. And it's, it's a hard sell. Yeah. You know, it's... You know, not that we want to be so cynical as to say money makes the world go around. Or some of you might say but realistic. But it kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> well, it certainly, it certainly matters, right? If it weren't for the fact that uh, it matters, then maybe we could just very altruistically say, oh, well, you know, this well, is the best thing for everybody. Well, we're willing to pay more for it. Yeah. So, but, so it, mm. but the problem is that you're talking about uh, paying a lot more. Again, you've, you know, got gasoline that's had a century to establish itself. Mm-hmm. So to, switch out to something else is going to require an enormous investment. Yeah. Um, and, and and even, you know, it, we keep talking about how complicated these matters are, and they are so complicated that a lot of the research being done is contradictory. Right, right. And again, uh, part of that also goes back to checking to see who it was that funded the research. Absolutely. Because uh, there are so many lobby systems, which also relates to money, uh, in that, that are active players in various yeah. national governments that yeah, well, I would not go so far as to say there's a conspiracy out there that is is designed to uh, to suppress innovation. If we're going I, to say that, we should really bring Ben and Matt in here, right? But, but I will go so far as to say that if if there is a an industry that has certain interests and they want to protect it, that could include everything from funding research that gives them a positive light. So that definitely does happen. You know, Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I do know. I yeah. can, you know, you oh, see yeah, it yeah. happen. And here, here in the States, there's also a lot of, um, uh, big agriculture issues where, you know, people, people will talk about how, um, how perhaps, uh, you know, corn and soybean production are being funded uh, at the expense of other things and, yeah. and that this is part of what's driving, uh, biodiesel or ethanol. Or that small farmers are suffering because, uh, more and more, uh, land and 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 resources are going toward producing fuel than it would be for food, and there are a lot of political issues here and social issues beyond mm-hmm. just the fuel problem, which again makes this more complex. Um, yeah, I mean this is kind of a uh, you know the the big story here is that when you start opening up this can of worms, you realize there's more worms than dirt here uh, that you have to really take into account and. 
But this does not mean that, one, we should give up the quest to try and find better fuels that are less environmentally harmful or that are uh, less expensive uh, or that, that give us a boost in national security. We absolutely should continue to do those things. We should not expect some sort of miracle fuel right around the corner because that's probably not going to happen. But the more we can wean ourselves off of gasoline, and I don't think we're going to get to a point where we completely eliminate that need any time in the, the near future – the better. But we can also do things ourselves, right, that that help this out. And some of it, if we start implementing these behaviors now, it'll make the transition easier when it does happen. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. I mean, with, with any of these environmental issues that you're looking at, um, the way that you behave on a, on a personal level and on a community level is is really important. And, and part of that is, um, you know, taking the bus or taking the train if you can. Right. And uh, or, yeah. or, or just just driving less or driving more responsibly, you know, not hitting the gas to run around someone who's going four miles an hour slower than than you really want them to be. Right. And carpooling, all these ideas mm-hmm. of conserving fuel, that's a good habit to get into because, like we've said multiple times, these alternative fuels, most of them don't have the same sort of energy density that gasoline does. So mm-hmm. uh, if we do get to a point or if you choose to drive a vehicle that uses one of these other alternative fuels – You'll have to make sure that your driving habits reflect that because otherwise you're going to be stopping for fuel way more frequently because. And paying way more for it. Yeah, because you're not, you're not driving as efficiently as Mm -hmm. you, as you could. So, uh, a lot of this can, you know, this transition can be made more, um, gentle on us, the consumer, if we start to adopt some of these behaviors. And plus, we'll just be We're we're, we're doing ourselves a favor. We're doing everybody a favor. Environmentally and also the maintenance of your vehicle. I mean, there are a lot of reasons to do it, economic and environmental. A lot of good reasons to just be a responsible driver uh, in in that respect. Not to mention the fact that just be a responsible driver, people. (laughs) (laughs) If you're listening to this podcast while you're driving, that's fine. If you're reading the transcript while you're driving, please don't do that. Don't do that thing. No, that's that's not good. Unless you have one of those fancy, fancy automatic automobiles. Oh yeah, if you if you're in one of those Google driverless car things, then uh, First of all, call us. Yeah, swing by. I want to ride. Um but, you know, that that I think that's just the Google people right now. Yeah. So, uh hi. Anyway, so <laughs> that's the that's kind of the wrap up on alternative fuels and why it's so complex and that it's not just so some easy solution of saying, "Hey, let's just switch this gas pump from uh gas to hydrogen and everything's cool." And go. Yeah, no. it, it's unfortunately far more complicated than that. And it's not to say that these challenges are insurmountable. I don't believe that because human beings are phenomenal when it comes to finding solutions to difficult problems. But it is important that we we acknowledge that it is a difficult problem. And then we take it from there. I have complete faith that the human race is going to come up with some pretty awesome stuff in the next, you know, 20 years even to, to completely revolutionize 20 us. to 40 years, definitely. Oh, yeah. That's when all the future comes is in 20 to 40 years. So I just got to live to see it. So, uh, in the meantime, while I'm waiting, if you guys would like to send in suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, we would love that. We love reading your email. We love getting the tweets and the Facebook messages. Please keep them coming. Let us know what you're interested in, yeah. what's, what what you think would be an exciting podcast. Some, it, someday, someday we'll bring back that uh, that alarm klaxon and do some reader mail. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Yeah, that might that might happen. <laughs> I 
Lauren, Lauren has not lived through the hate mail that I got back when I used to do the listener mail segment. But it could, you know, be, it could be a quiet klaxon. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what a klaxon is. All right, so guys, uh, let us know. You can send us an email. Our address is techstuff at discovery.com or drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle at both those locations is techstuffhsw and Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.